1: Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift for the Queen Stage Recap of the Giro d'Italia 2022 Stage 16. It has 5,500 metres elevation across 202 kilometres from Sarlo to Africa. the wine stage. We've had the food stage. This is the wine stage, but not the... Uh, Astoria, whatever Italian champagne stage is called, Prosecco. Anyway, three and a half major climbs. The Goletto di Carino, 19K, 6.2%. Descent, false flat valley of 40 kilometers. Remember that. It's very important before the Mortarolo uphill. Then the Mortarolo, easier side, 12.7K, 7.5%. Descent, very technical, but dry today. The side you'd often see. Then a false flat dis- uh, downhill valley before the Telio uncategorized climb. That valley is 30 kilometers. Remember that. Very important. Then that 5k, 8.7% uncategorized climb, which is ludicrous descent. And then the Santa Cristina climb, 127 is 8.1%, and the last 5 kilometers average over with the first half being at about 8%. So short descent into Africa where they have to finish the stage because the town pays for the finish and about 6Ks and it was a bit wet. But Benji, it was mayhem at the start with no climb to kick off the break. It was like the other day, like fierce battle to get in the break.
0: Yeah. And the start was quite intriguing because the riders had to start from like a standing start at kilometer zero And that's something we don't often see. I think we've seen it once before in this Giro in the Napoli stage. And the reason was that they had a minute of silence at kilometer zero for the fact that someone passed away. A DS passed away in the Italian continental circuit. And uh, yeah, they uh, had a minute of silence there, decided to... Uh, kick it off from that point on. It was from a standing start, so no neutral section after that. And it felt like a CX start because Vanderpool was the first one to make a move. <laughs> and he ended up getting into a group of six riders, including the likes of Thomas end, but also Cavendish. Cavendish decided to try and play it clever again, like he did yesterday. He tried to get into the break where yesterday it failed. Today he got a bit of a gap and was able to join a group on the flat section before the first climb. And That's not to win the stage, obviously. His chances on Mortirolo are not that high, I dare to say. And um, yeah, that's to make sure that he's got a bit of an advantage extra on the peloton once this climbing starts and therefore has an easier fight. Easier with like quotes around it because it's still going to be hard against the time limit. And that group kind of stayed up there, but it really came on to the fast climb. The Goleto Di Cadino climb, that 19k climb you spoke about that the real breakaway started forming because people just skipped on attacking that entire climb and it was chaos all over the road because while a group did form, including the likes of the riders I just mentioned already in that breakaway, like a Cavendish and Vanderpool and so forth, Simon Yates bridged up, Ahrensman bridged up, Ciccone with a teammate, Cataldo, we had the likes of Hulvarian there, probably the closest one on GC, if my mind serves me right, two riders from Antrimarché, Rota and Hirtz. And then we had also the likes of Hugh Carphy, Fortunato, Guillaume Martin was in there, Leonard Kemna with a teammate, Kelderman who bridged up a bit later, Wout And I think those are the most important names in that breakaway that uh, were us up the road. But it was interesting because that breakaway was so dangerous that Ineos decided to respond to it. And they were like, "Okay, why is this dangerous? Let's take a look. There's satellite riders in there. Bora Hansgrohe with two riders in there, Kemna and Kelderman. They could use that for Hindley. Then we have Valverde that can take time for himself. But I think there were also other riders' pools for Bahrain Victorious. And you could also count Formula for a bit as well that entered that group too as a satellite rider on paper, even though we are never sure if he actually will satellite rider for Almeida in a stage like this. But were you surprised by the reaction of Ineos to try and get that close down ASAP?
1: Kind of, because, I mean... I would just try and conserve numbers. Yes, it's not ideal, obviously, that Bohr have got two in the break, two strong climbers. Bahrain have got pools, strong climber in the break. Luckily for them, Astana didn't make it because if you remember Giro Stage 19 when Kreisweich crashed into the ice wall, the big time gap was made. They killed Kreisweich in the valley before the final climb to resolve because Astana got Scarponi in the breakaway. And Nibali, Contador, and the Giro have used valleys, these 20K false flat valleys, to kill other riders if they have a satellite rider up there, and Astana didn't. And they've got a small team too, Tejada, Pronsky, La Cruz. Fellini would be pretty good, Um so, and they just couldn't make it so that was as you said Benji, your original question i was like yeah what does it matter if you give kelderman five six minutes the problem is if it gets out of control and then no one takes it up at the end do you really want to give it back eh. they just ended up pacing with puccio and swift and kept it tight enough but before we get into the breakaway before Mortarolo mentioned our show partners swift it's been a heat wave in europe It's now, as we saw on this stage and here in Andorra, it's turned to 10 degrees and uh, bucketing rain, I think in Belgium as well, according to my local weather reporter on the ground, Mr. Narsen. (laughs) So if you want to keep on top of your training goals, perhaps you've got a Grand Fondo in the middle of summer, you can't afford to be missing out on hours on the bike. Like myself, Swift is the best platform for you, the online cycling platform that makes training fun. You can check it out at Zwift.com for a free seven-day trial through the link down below. But before Motorola, there's this false flat descent, or uphill, I can't remember which one, and Trek fucked up in a monumental fashion. They had Cataldo in the break as a domestique for Ciccone. Ciccone has won a stage, plus he's going for Malia at Zura. Now having those two objectives is a difficult balance that we've seen for Woods and Poles in the Tour de France last year. And there was a split. And I'll just get this. Get a coffee, Benji. I know you don't drink coffee, but get one anyway. Decaf will do. I have to say the coverage of today, and this isn't GCN Plus. They receive the feed that they're given. They don't control the images that they receive. The production, I have to say, was extremely disappointing. We have a, a queen stage, potentially historic moments, dangerous descents. These guys are risking their life often, and to not even show the GC group at all for for five minutes, ten minutes at a time when there's stuff happening and you're showing Ciccone drop from a break, doing nothing, and you have a star a pacing. It's not even an Italian thing. Nibali's Italian. Show neboli <laughs> Like, the, the. I don't. You, okay, when they're pacing, you don't need to show it constantly. You don't need to have GC group pacing, show it for a minute. Just chop there every 40 to 60 seconds just so we know what they're doing, just so we know who's pacing, who's dropping, uh, the story of the climb. The, the gaps between showing the GC group has been just ridiculous. We wait three weeks to watch watching the race, some boring stages, nothing happening. We have the queen stage and they're not showing the GC group anyway. Breakaway split apart. Trek got Ciccone on the wrong side of it and Cataldo in it. What should Cataldo have done, Benji?
0: Well, I'd argue that he should probably wait for the other group and pace it back because like, he's got no plays in that front group. He can't do anything there. He can sit up, but I don't think that's going to do much. The others are going to keep on pacing anyway. So I think the only thing you can do if you want to do something with Ciccone is try and make sure he uh, catches up.
1: I know, and they let Kemner get in it, Kelderman, and was waiting in the group behind, not helping. Carthy missed it. And so Ciccone and Carthy had to bridge this to this group of Hamilton. Gold starter, Chris Hamilton, today, who's extended at DSM. Magnificent job for Aronsman. Full gas. Pulling the valley in Mortarolo. He killed Carthy in Chicano's chances, I think, today. Pulling that group with Valverde, Kamner, and co. And putting Aronsman in a really good position to win. They go into Mortarolo. Carthy, Chicano bridge across. And back in the peloton, we have Ineos had been pacing. Gaps not that big. Three minutes or so are starting to go to the front, Benji. The blue... The, the, uh, the school of sharks around Vincenzo Nibali. <laughs> but what could they achieve there? What did you think they could
0: achieve there? What was the plan? Well, me as a Nibali fan was thinking, okay, he's going to attack away before the top of the climb. He's going to try and put pressure on the descent because when I look at this team, there's no descender in there that I see that can help him out in descend. descent. It's either Nibali or it's nothing. But the problem is... Let's say that happens. Let's say they ride to the top and Nibali attacks just before the top. What is he going to do? The gap to the breakaway is still four minutes, five minutes. There's riders in between, but those are not teammates, so they might not even help him if he gets to them. He needs to have someone with him in the descent for this plan to even remotely make sense. I think this plan would work so much better if they actually succeeded to have someone in the breakaway. And that's exactly what they ended up like trying this exact scenario they ended up upping the tempo on the climb the Mortirolo towards the top and rider by rider they were done at a certain point there were two riders left in front of him so that was confirmation that Nibali had to do something on the climb itself and it just happened towards the top that he kind of moved forward made sure he's in the first position in the peloton group in the elite group so that he can put pressure there but while that was going on I first want to get your opinion on, like, the Neebly thing, but afterwards also about Almeida looking a bit meh at the top of Mortirolo.
1: It doesn't even faze me anymore. He's doing his thing. He's riding to a set power target. He's on junior gearing. He's on reverse junior gearing where he, he's not allowed to ride up above 370 watts. So <laughs> that's... I, I was literally not concerned whatsoever. Um, he's just doing his thing. He refuses to respond to surges. And on the neebly thing, Benji... I think, as you said, without a satellite rider, he quickly realized, I cannot ride a false flight descent for 40 kilometers alone. Ineos will come back and kill me. That being said, he pushed for five minutes or three minutes on the descent. It looked like Carapaz called his bluff and Carapaz was like, on you go, buddy. You ride that descent on your own and the valley and let his wheel go, but Pozzo Vivo crashed behind. So for five minutes of work and for his team pacing, Nibali did move up a GC spot. I, I don't know where Pozzo's finished, but Pozzo crashed, and we saw him crash on his elbow. He's already had a lot of bad crashes in his career, and but he got back up. We, we didn't know how long he'd get back. The breakaway goes into the valley, though, with Aronsman, Ciccone, Hirt, Kemna, Valverde, probably missing somebody, Carthy, they actually get a nice solid gap in that valley because Ineos and Astana all come back. The GC guys who've been thinned out are like, I don't want to pull the valley. You want to pull the valley? Nope. They let Navis, <laughs> Sivakov, Talit, Pronsky, Dombrowski. Everybody comes back, including Potsivivo eventually, and then we'll get into the final of this stage. But if you want to catch up on some other racing this week, the LRCP Giro coverage is supported by GCN Plus's Tour of Norway, Circuit de Voligny, Lotto Touring and Rundfahrt, GP Marcel Kint. They're all available in all GCN Plus territories, no restrictions. That's four races just this, this week, as well as Boucle de la Mayenne Thursday to Sunday everywhere except France. So a whole complement of races live and on demand. I mean, if you can watch all of that live, you're doing even better than me. That's all on GCN Plus this week. In that valley, Benji, that was it. Is that bad stage design or is that just what happens if the right team doesn't get a satellite rider in the break? And it could have been great, but it just didn't work out that
0: way. I think there's two ways you can see this. You can see it as Astana not completing the goal of putting someone in the breakaway and therefore ruining a potential attack at that spot which i see it as personally but also the fact that beforehand i did kind of mark that the valley was long it would need satellite riders to be up there and then when you look at the final two climbs the small climb before the bigger climb the smaller climb will not necessarily have attacks because the final climb is too hot so it's kind of predictable that specific scenario in this stage and it ended up being that astana did not have the rider up there so I wouldn't say it was poor stage design, but I would say that it was about only seventy-eight percent good stage design, and it could have been a bit better. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, it could have. I don't know it's probably hard to piece the mountains close together. I did. Yeah, I think so. I know that's the problem. It is. I did like the uncategorized climb before the final climb, but we get to that final climb. Breakaway is looking good. It's got a nice, healthy gap. Sorry, before the uncategorized climb. And then Bahrain starts to eat into it, pacing with Novak. You might not know him. He's Slovenian. He's actually been really, really good domestique. They've got Butrago there. Pulls us up the road. Bilbao for Landa. We start seeing Landa takes the sunnis off, puts him on his head. He starts looking to the camera, kind of scared. Looking, and we're like, ooh, this is what the Landista fans live for. And we're like, Bahrain's surely going to try something in the breakaway. I'll finish with the break first the breakaway Kamna over the top of that uncategorized climb. It was hilarious. Uh He attacked. It was an intermediate sprint. Everyone was oblivious. Balor, who he'd been, he'd been arguing with, was like, no, no, no. I know what you're doing, Leonard, and immediately marked him. And then they get onto the descent, and he tries again. Carthy pulls and men are not great descenders. Ballard doesn't like closing gaps all the time, and Canada just forces the issue on this descent over and over and over, eventually gets a gap of 40 seconds going into the uh, Santa Cristina climb, which is like a 35, 40-minute climb, and they're all looking at each other. Perfect strategy for him because here Aaronsman and co. have better walls per kilo over 40 minutes on this sort of climb. than he does. It's the only way he can win, and it's looking good. Ahrensman starts to chase. Carthy and Valverde are fighting. Heat eventually attacks across, and Heat paces steadily, gets to Ahrensman. They get to Kemner, Heert attacks Ahrensman and wins the stage, even with a very slippery descent and what looks like a broken bike or broken derailleur, the, like it was jangling all over the place, the really weirdest bike. Could Ahrensman have done anything different, Benji? I think he rode it. Maybe he took a little bit too much upon himself on Mortarolo after Hamilton finished pulling.
0: Probably that's true. I'd argue that's true, but when you're in that position and you feel strong, then it wouldn't surprise me that you kind of like have 2% too much energy spent at some point where you're like, okay, a bit too much courage at that point. But hey, uh, Hirt held on. He wasn't in the perfect position every single time in the stage, but at the end, he was the strongest and he was able to bridge up like you mentioned with Ahrensman. So great to see that and another victory for Anton Maché there, I'd argue but when it comes to uh, one rider that disappeared from the breakaway, just on the Santa Cristina climb was Wout Pools. He was speaking into his microphone, had dropped quite a few times already this stage, but he looked to be dropping on purpose based on what I could see, at least. And he ended up showing up at the front of the peloton later on to help out as well for the team of Bahrain there. Utrago was kind of doubting, are you going to come ahead of me or behind me in the train? Because it was like an interaction there that wasn't very clear for the both of them, but in the end, they started what switching around. What was Petrago around.
1: saying? He just was like moving his hand in a circular motion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think those, no one knew what he was saying. He wasn't like pointing behind my wheel. He's just like <sighs> doing, yeah, maybe that's one for YouTube. <laughs> I forget the podcast. I'm just doing it. Wingardium Leviosa movements with my hand. But yeah, Bahrain, hard pacing. We know what's going to happen and they're gonna, there's going to be the inevitable launch or failure to launch of Lander. Pools does a nuclear pull. Like, unbelievable. He drops neebly Nibali, No, neebly's on the limit. Pozzo drops. He lose three minutes today on the Santa Cristina climb, and then Lander surges. And it was blockhouse all over again, Benji. Hindley, Carapaz, Lander. And Almeida, five to ten seconds behind, I think, just doing his own pace and... Should Hindley, Hindley took it up eventually. Hindley killed Almeida, well, not killed him. Hindley was the reason Almeida stayed behind. Who did you think looked the strongest?
0: I think from that group, it was Hindley that looked the strongest to me. While Landa was the first one to make the initial move and those three riders getting away, Hindley and Blockhouse was not in the first group. He was not with Carapaz and Landa. That was Bardet back then. And now he is with the two best climbers here. And he looked to be the one that had the most energy because, I don't know, Carapaz, if he had the energy to keep going and to keep the pressure on, I'd argue he also wants to take more time on Almeida. So I think the point here is that Hindley took it up and therefore I think he's a tiny bit better at this point. But it wasn't enough to make the difference on Santa Cristina. But it was curious that Kemena then actually ended up showing up out of the blue. And I forgot that he was still ahead and he was suddenly there. And I was like, okay, he can actually pace for Hindley while... Your boy behind, Almeidas trying to catch up while Nibli is slowly but surely fading in the distance. And that was unfortunate to see for me, the shark drowning a bit in the background. But, hey, a descent was still coming. The top was not the end of today's stage. And I was curious what was going to happen after the top. Is Kemna going to be able to stay with Hindley and so forth, Carapaz and so forth to pace? Or was Carapaz going to take it up? It looked like Carapaz was taking it up right in the descent.
1: Yeah, it was. It was very slippery descent. We saw a hit nearly crash and ruin his stage on this descent. It recently just bucketed down on it. Hinley, one of the most insane things I've ever seen. He's with Carapaz Lander. They got Almeida ten seconds behind. Valverde joins them after he'd been dropped from the brake, and Hinley tries to get Valverde to take Lander or Carapaz wheel and for Hinley to go to the back of the group on the descent. I'm like, Jai. He might just lose the wheel because he doesn't give a fuck. Like He's not going to close these guys. The stage win is gone. You can't trust Valverde to keep their wheel when Carapaz and Lander are surging out of corners. Luckily, Valverde pushed him through, and eventually they just go through together. It's going to be a sprint in Africa, and Valverde baits Hindley. He goes really early, like 300 meters to go. Hindley reacts, and again, He's got the strongest kick of these GC guys right now. Leads out Carapaz completely and still beats him with Carapaz, trying to nail him on the line like he did to Higuita in Catalunya. Like, I, Hindley's kick is unreal right now, and he takes more bonus seconds. So, Jan Hit wins the stage, seven seconds ahead of Aaronsman. But here, Hindley, 124 with Carapaz Valverde. Hindley takes the four seconds. Lander on the same time. Almeida, 14 seconds back. Nibali. Quick maths, 32 seconds back. Bilbao loses big time, two minutes today. Potsovivo loses nearly three minutes. Sivakov was good. He finished in Potso group. Bookman loses two minutes, 50. Uh, That's the main one from the GC guys. Guillaume Martin, despite being in the break, lost 19 (laughs) minutes, I think. Wow. I mean, Arkea. Maybe people are wise to his strategy. But here's the revised GC standings. Nothing's really changed in the top four. Just Hindley gets closer to Carapaz, three seconds behind. Almeida a bit further away, 44 seconds back. Lander the same, 59 back. Nibali moves up into fifth on 340. Bookman, Pozzo, and Bilbao all move down, really out of contention. We forgot to mention one thing. I still don't know how it happened lander crashing bilbao on the ascent just before he wanted bilbao to pull for him it was like trying to get rid of the other leader like who was to blame for that i think
0: lander was i think so as well just before that happened he like looked back at all the gc competitors a good five to ten seconds before that happened and perhaps was still not completely attentive was thinking about what he just saw or something and he just ended up riding against Bilbao, who moved slightly to the left. And Landa didn't break or didn't like move to the side as well. It was not a serious job by Bilbao or anything. So I'd say it's more Landa's fault than Bilbao's fault on this situation. And Landa should have seen Bilbao move to the left at that point in the race. But hey, it was weird because like Bilbao kind of falls over, but not completely. It's like he rode up into his shoe and then his shoe unclips or something like that. And that's probably what saved Bilbao from completely crashing.
1: <laughs> so weird.
0: It's weird, you know.
1: We've seen a couple of weird uphill crashes this year: Jonas into Jonas Agira, now Bilbao crashed by his own teammate. I want to talk about now. We, we've had some people really drop out of GC, being Bilbao, being Buchmann. Now there is no team with a serious GC threat for the win who has two guys: Inios, Bora, UAE, Bahrain. Ah, Nibali's not looking good. Those four, Ineos, Bora, UAE, Bahrain.
0: Nibali always looks good.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, it didn't work <laughs> out for him today. I guess he tried. Surely Benji, Bora have to fold Camner, Kelderman and Bookman into different, more traditional domestic roles for Hindley now. That's the only way I see
0: it. I think so as well. And the same really counts for Bilbao for Landa. Because even today, I'd argue that Bilbao fell into a domestique role for Landa. So, oh, Giro, mate. <laughs> you're
1: right. He has been.
0: Yeah, you're right. He just has been up there in GC nonetheless. But I think it's very clear that those riders are domestiques. When it comes to Paul and here. I still think that they're going to try and keep both of them up there. I uh I don't see another one pacing for the other perhaps necessarily, unless the gap for here is so long that he can afford to work for Podzo Vivo at a certain point to try and get back that top five. of Podzo versus Niboli battle for top five. But I um I don't know, you're right. There's like no rider with another supportive rider that is also up there in GC that can play that double leader role here and that might have its influence on the race, but I don't think it's going to change too much because I swear that despite multiple teams having multiple leaders, we haven't seen anyone use it. So, (laughs) Buchan hasn't done it for Hindley. Bilbao hasn't done it for Landa. So, what's the point?
1: I think Landa's tactics suck.
0: (laughs) I Traumatized. I think he's traumatized for different leaders in his team and therefore doesn't want other leaders to have a chance at trying anything.
1: He's riding these stages and setting it up the climbs as if he's the clearly the best guy whereas Hindley's like imagine if Hindley got this support like he'd be flying he's not used like let's say Lander is equal or even 1% better than Carapaz and Hindley and I don't think he is better maybe he can be a better descender but Hindley and Carapaz looking better than him how are you going to beat them with this strategy when you have a technical descent I thought when Nibali went but Bilbao going with him is the perfect time to use him. And then yep. Landis sits in the group and then you have pulls ahead and then you can really make something happen there because Nibali and Bilbao, they're kind of equal climbers too. Instead, they've never used Bilbao in that fashion. They've used Bilbao. I mean, we saw he paced the valley in the, uh, the medium mountain stage on Saturday. They've just not used it. And they've just gone traditional almost sky train strategies and good luck. Like winning the Jira that way. Now, if he's going for the podium, he achieved something today. He is, I think, 15 seconds now behind Almeida. So he's getting closer, but he's going to need to take a minute on him more with the TT to come. Um, so, any other teams, Benji, you think? I think Inios got to be pretty happy. Sivakov looked good. Port crashed and came back. They did a pretty good defense today.
0: Yes, but the continuous bonus seconds that Hindley thinks are eventually going to put Hindley above Karapaz if this continues. And for the time trial, I don't know who's going to be the best in the time trial. They're both not great time trialists. Carapaz on paper has better time trial support, in my opinion, and equipment. So I'd put him a tiny bit higher in that sense. So uh, I don't know. I just don't like... When I'm either of them to go into the time trial with barely any difference on the other, so I think we'll still see differences in the coming days in that sense. Almeida's problem is that if he continues losing 15 seconds every single mountain stage, then he's not going to end up in a position that he can still win on the time trial. It's now 44 seconds. It's getting more and more, and I'm curious to see if he's going to have a point that at any point in this race where he actually can attack because right now he can't because he's not good enough to stay with the riders to attack away from when it comes to a Vincenzo Nibali I hope that he does what I think he will do and that's risk it all to win this race and not care about necessarily top five in this race or podiuming this race going all out for the victory and going YOLO on one of the stages somewhat similar to what he was trying to do initially in the middle of the stage but didn't have the perfect setup of the stage and their team for it but I was so happy to see what happened despite it not going anywhere as a Nibali fan Best MVP moment of this day, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it because, like, you can say what you want about the descent, but in a while, Carapaz didn't necessarily follow him. The gap that he created instantly was pretty damn large. So the technical aspect of that descent really helps him. But I fell to see an easy way to use that from his point onwards in the coming stages. We went over the stages yesterday, and. This was kind of the most technical descent I saw in the third week. That Mortirolo descent.
1: Yeah, it and it was the problem was the valley tomorrow. He there isn't that long valley. It's 168 k's. The stage 17 from Ponte di Legno mm-hmm. to Lavarone. It starts with the Passo del Tonale, 8.6 k's at 6.3 percent out of the neutral zone. That should allow very strong climbers to get in the breakaway. Once again, I would not be surprised to see the same names in the break tomorrow. Then it's a long valley and then medium mountains until like for like a hundred kilometers plus, until the Valico de Del Vetriolo, 12k seven and a half percent descent. Don't know how technical it is, then an 8k valley, no less, 5k valley, quite short, before the Monto. Monte Rovere, 8Ks, 9.6%. It's hard, but 8Ks of rolling ridgeline to the finish. Very suitable for Almeida. Don't know how it's a little technical descent, but that's really, really good for Almeida to come back yeah. if he gets dropped. And I see this as breakaway with a GC group of five behind it, sprinting with Almeida, Lander Hindley, Carapaz, probably even Nibali, to be honest, and I think Simon Yates wins the stage.
0: Ooh, he tried today. He was in that breakaway today, but failed to continue with that breakaway. What did you see in that? Don't you see it as a danger that he might get dropped tomorrow by other breakaway riders? Or
1: I think he missed the split before the motorolo, and then it just mm-hmm. cooked him chasing on the flat. He panicked and freaked out chasing on the flat. Um, he could have bad legs too. It could be the rain coming. I don't know the weather conditions. Jan yeah, here could win again, but he's now ninth on GC on seven minutes, which is kind of scary. Um, but yeah, I, I think it should still be break and the, the same sort of guys.
0: I love the aspect of the Paso del Tonale being at the start of the stage that will cause such chaos and a breakaway fight initially from the neutral zone onwards. So that's lovely. And I hope that we see a bit of a, a copycat by Nibali on the Vatico del Vitriolo, another attempt at a an attack on top there. I wanna see him go YOLO, regardless of him losing five positions as a consequence, just in the hopes that he can do something upsetting in GC and make his way, way forward in GC. But he might wait until some of the bigger stages, like stage 20, for example. Do you um I'm gonna go for Niboli for the stage because I'm in like full hype mode and I'm completely biased at this point with my peaks for the last week. So don't surprise if uh, it won't be surprising if I pick Nibali for every single mountain state from this point onwards. I don't,
1: I don't see how he wins it. I think Hinley sprint is looking good from the G C group, him or Almeida. Um but yeah, who should try something? Can you try something on G C? It's two back to back climbs, finishing mm. with a steep one, but with that just, like I just you know what's gonna happen, Benji. Hinley, Carapaz, Lander, they get to the crest of Monte <laughs> Rovere, and who's gonna pace? Like you need a satellite rider up there if you want to do anything. Camner maybe yeah. could be the option if Camner gets in the break again. Kelderman, okay, yep. I would like Kelderman to be the one pacing for Hindley to set him up. I think I think Bora should go all in on Hindley. if they set him up and pace harder. I think he can really, really do something even on this sort of stage. He looks the strongest. Carapaz is mostly mostly following. Uh, but yeah, that's all from the Giro stage. It didn't, it didn't pop off the way it could have. No huge disruption in the top four, but it's the first stage of the third week. We've got another hard stage tomorrow. Who knows how the riders will recover? Bad weather, rain, cold conditions potentially inc- incoming, but not high altitude. And any last thoughts from the Giro before we go to Ellen van Dijk's hour record?
0: Someone just DM'd me that Bozo said in an interview on Rai, so it's still on a Twitter DM. So not sure how trustworthy it is, but that Podzo fell because a loss of pressure in the oil of his disc brakes.
1: No, we're not doing this again, Benji. You're trying <laughs> to bait me. Come on. I'm, I'm embargoed. I'm not allowed to discuss it anymore. <laughs> Poor guy. All right. We'll wait to hear if anything more comes out of that. But in other news around cycling, I'll have Tour of Norway highlights, which hasn't finished yet on, my, on the Lantern Rouge YouTube channel. But... Ellen Van Dyke on the Monday rest day went for the hour record, women's hour record, an official UCI attempt in Switzerland. I think so. Not at high altitude. Is it a uh yeah. the track? Yes, it is. And she said a not. A, I was about to say she set a time <laughs> of one hour. She set a time <laughs> of one hour with a distance of forty nine point two five four kilometers, smashing Joss Loudon's record, which was set at the end of last year. And not surprisingly, to be honest, she is one of the best time trials in the world. Well, one of two between her and Mullen Roycer. And yeah, it's it's a pretty big margin, Benji, and I'm not even sure what her prep was like.
0: Same man. We also don't know what the investment of sponsorships and so forth in that project is, whether she had the optimal equipment when it comes to arrow and so forth, what preparation in that sense she had, but she seemed to have a pacing plan where she went up in tempo towards the middle and then towards the last portion she kind of fell off a tiny bit. I was slight i won't say I was disappointed, but I was expecting like a bit more when it comes to kilometers per hour on the parkour from her. But hey, I guess that in a few years she might be able to do it again at this point. But it's wonderful to see that she beat it. I, it was pretty much inevitable as long as she stayed on the bike in my personal opinion that she was going to beat it and uh i'm looking forward to see more and more people take this on in the future to be honest but the thing is like i i was kind of thinking about this myself like marlon royster is the one that i see that can do better in this or or can do this and compete with it do you see anybody else currently that can do that or is it is the equipment way more important than only the rider?
1: but. If Diageit comes back, yeah. best best time trials in the world, but that's a big if. But you're right, I don't know Royce. Uh, I'm trying to think who's small. I don't really know. Royce would be the big one. Avv probably be able to break it. Like let's be real, Avv <laughs> could probably do 50 k's an hour if she got the right setup. Uh, but yeah, Van Dijk only stopped racing a month ago. She did the full. She did flesh on the 20th of April, so she had a month to prep because the race was yesterday. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. remember Alex Dowsett came on the pod end of last year before his hour record and said, actually, racing's it's just good to have racing in the legs and it's not necessarily a disadvantage. But she probably only had three weeks of dedicated tuning up for it. But she broke it, and I'll be interested to see, as Benji said, who will be the next challengers for the women's hour record and how close or soon probably inevitable that the 50 kilometer mark will be broken but that's all from us today hope you enjoyed the coverage if you want to watch the Giro stages or norway etc you can check out gcn plus through the link down below as well as well we're going on swift this evening for some rainy day late night special meetups we'll see you with the stage 17 recap tomorrow Ciao.
0: hi